If you travel, you know how to really go off the grid. Like no cell service in your room, off the grid. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, sound baths, and ice baths. Because when you set up your out-of-office, you mean it. Because when you're the escape artist, vacation is all about resting, meditating, drinking water, and minding your own businessing. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. She is a living legend, Diane Carroll. She has a long list of firsts to her name. First, she made history in 1968. The show was called Julia. It was the first time that an African-American woman had starred in her own sitcom. It was a hit. I loved watching her on Julia. I was 14 years old, never missed an episode. She was a groundbreaker, and because of her, it was possible for me to be where I am. Even as a little girl growing up in New York City, Diane Carroll never accepted that there was anything she could not do. She became the first African-American woman to win a Tony Award. She was a star in Las Vegas during the Rat Pack days. She's been nominated for a Grammy, and an Academy Award. She's been an entertainer her entire life. For all of us who've come after her, Diane Carroll is a master. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Diane Carroll. I grew up in Manhattan. New York City. I'm certainly a New York City person. Fortunately, I had, because of growing up in New York City, the world to relate to every day from the time I was in elementary school. There were so many people from all over the world, every color, every language, every religion, operating somewhat comfortably together. My schools were never segregated, never. And I'm now 75, so we're talking about quite some time ago. And I realized as I traveled the world what that meant, that I was never subjected to that kind of I'm less than. And that happens very often, as you know. So I love New York. I lived in Manhattan on 148th Street between Amsterdam and Broadway. And I grew up enjoying all of the excitement, all of the beauty of what went on in that area. There was theater, always theater. Theater was our lifeline to something cultural where we could all participate. I was approximately six, seven years old. And my mother knew that she was in trouble with this child who loved acting, that I loved singing. So as often as I possibly could, I put them together. But when you're with your friends and they're teasing you about, you know, Diane really thinks she can sing. She does, yeah, she really does. Diane, why don't you sing something for us? 
I was being singled out. I was being, you know, who does she think she is kind of. It's part of why people respond to you if they have seen the need that you have to share whatever it is you feel you have that makes you so special. The unkind things that they say and do, it's because you threaten them. Your responsibility is to find out why do you think you're special? And is it something that you can pursue? And where will you find your support group? We always criticize each other first before saying, I don't know what he can do. Give it a chance. And I was secure enough in that I deserved to try. And I didn't want to be afraid of anything. If I turned out to be the biggest joke in town, I still wanted to try. My drive, my drive to succeed certainly came from my parents. My father worked every job that he possibly could in order to make us more comfortable, enjoy life more than he felt he had at the present, if there was something that could take him to the next step to give us that. He would do that. But my father did not want me to go into show business. It was not on the table. It was not up for discussion for many reasons, but it didn't carry the kind of esteem that he felt I should work for. He said, yes, I think you have talent, but Diane, it's a terrible life. In some ways, he was absolutely accurate, but in other ways, if you can climb the hurdles and weather the storm, it's a wonderful life. It's an exciting life. Arthur Godfrey was looking for young people who were trying to find out who they were and what kind of talent they had. So I went with my friend to the audition, the Arthur Godfrey show. We were in high school. And my friend, her last name was Oppenheim, and my last name was Johnson. And you're seated in a room, and someone comes into the room, and, and they say, Oppenheim and Johnson. So we stood up, and they all began to laugh. They said, oh, we thought you were an old vaudeville team with the name of Oppenheim and Johnson. So we decided at that moment it would be best <laughs> to change our names, which we did. She became Collins, and I became Carol. And it didn't matter to me what my name was, really. It only mattered to me that you just call my name, please. And so I was accepted, and I became a part of the Arthur Godfrey radio show. And when I was uh, presented to Arthur Godfrey, my mother accompanied me. I knew that he was, let's say, the word that we used when I was young, fresh. And he said something to my mother that was really, I didn't care for it. And I told him, I thought that was something that had to be done. I mean, I knew that men felt that they could say certain things to women, but there was a way to hone it so that the man understood, you say it once, and then you know who I am, and I know who you are. And then we don't have to go through that foolishness again. He got the message, and it was fine. I was very, very protective of my mother. I guess if there's any lesson we have to learn in life very carefully is don't speak until you know what you're talking about. Don't speak until life has given you the right 
to say what needs to be said at this moment. My first singing job was working at the Latin Quarter, and it was my first experience with the band and the rehearsals and all of the things that are involved in putting a nightclub act together. From there, there is a tour that is booked. You go through certain clubs in the United States that are known for sort of a trial run. And the next thing I knew, I was going to Las Vegas to work. First club that I worked in Las Vegas was the Sands Hotel. It was eventually very enjoyable. In the beginning, very scary, hearing your name. The Sands presents Miss Diane Carroll. There were people there who helped me through that. A wonderful man by the name of Nat King Cole, so gifted and so perfect on stage that he said, I suggest you come every night and watch. Lots of help from people generous like Frank Sinatra. I realized that this was an art. This was not something to be dismissed. I don't think I'll be able to find the words to explain the joy of singing in something that brought me center stage, demanded the best of me, and allowed me to work with the best people in the industry. The feeling of I belong is what I suppose we all want. And I certainly felt that I belonged, that I brought something that was not only necessary, but in its way, beautiful. There's a feeling about segregation, that awful feeling that you will have to deal with for the rest of your life, is that you are hopelessly powerless. There is nothing you can do. I remember I was traveling with my mother. We were going to visit my mother's family in North Carolina. Usually we traveled by car, but this time I had to go with my mother on the train. And in Washington, D.C., I received one of the most shocking pieces of information. The conductor came to those of us in this particular car to explain to us that it was time to move. We had to move to another car because this car is no longer an integrated car. So all of the Negroes, we were called Negroes, all of the Negroes have to move two cars down. I remember thinking, but this is Washington, D.C. This is the optimum of the United States of America. I thought for a moment that he'd made a mistake. Then my mother said, no, no, we have to, we have to move. And my mother, it didn't face her. We're moving. She said, we're, we're moving. And I watched her reaction and my reaction. And I wanted to know why she wasn't more upset. Why wasn't she trying to do something about this? But she did apologize to me, which I found very interesting. Yes, she, she was she was ashamed, really. Not she was not ashamed of her blackness. She was ashamed of the country that she should have to subject me to that kind of treatment. She said to me, if people really do have a problem with you because of the color of your skin, remember the problem has nothing to do with you. That is their problem. For some reason, something has bothered them in their lives, and they've decided to interpret it in terms of race. And so they need that as an excuse because they're unhappy about something. But to be unkind to people or 
or to think less of people. It has really nothing to do with you, Diane. And I was just young enough to believe her. And thank God I did. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. There are times when, you know, oh, that Diane Cowell, she really is, she's a pain in the ass. <laughs> but it's necessary to be that from time to time. Forgive the language, but it is necessary. You can't imagine that everyone can see life from your side of the fence. They didn't come to life with your life experiences. No one told them when they were six or seven years old that they'd have to move to another car on the train because they're black. So if that's not a part of your experience, I don't have time to stop and say, how much of what's going on around you do you choose to understand or do you choose to ignore? I was doing a musical uh, No Strings and we were in Detroit. We were having really great success. And I was genuinely proud of everyone that took the chance. You know, this was all about an interracial love story. And on the evening that we were all anticipating a private party, it was necessary for Richard Rogers to come to my dressing room to explain to me that I had not been invited by the hostess because she didn't want her children to be exposed to a black person. They only knew the people who worked in their home. And she thought it was dangerous for me to be in the presence of her children. I thought, here we are again. <laughs> People who are afraid of something in themselves and they, they don't know how to face that. So they say, you're the cause of my... It's you with your black skin. You are the one that's making me unhappy here. Well, her own humanity, of course, never came into question. But if you can imagine having someone speak to you that way. I wasn't angry. I was disappointed. But I repeated it, maybe even on the loudspeaker, to the entire cast, that I had not been invited to the event of the evening. So I decided to have a party for all of us. I was across the street in a little, wonderful little restaurant with excellent food. And all of my cast members came to my party. And we didn't discuss it. And at the end of the evening, Richard Rogers came to the party. You know, there's an expression, you, you have to deal out of your own truth. Well, Mrs. Mabel Johnson, my mother, said to me, it's not your problem, it's her problem. And do whatever you wish to do to make yourself happy. So I invited everyone to a party. And we had a hell of a good time. There's foolishness in racism, as you know, and some of it is just too foolish to even attract my attention. But there are other times when I have to stop. Nope. I can't walk past this. Not right now. I remember the March on Washington. There was strength in all of us being a part of this together. 
I found a picture recently. I'm holding James Garner, and James Garner is holding Brando. Our faces were completely determined. We were just there, solidarity, to say, this must change. We won't have it any other way. And this is really the beginning. It was not a choice. I had no choice. We had no choice. You had to do it. I mean, it had to be changed. In the 1960s, when I was growing up watching television, there wasn't one show that starred anybody who looked anything like me. Roles for black actors were limited to maids, butlers, and other stereotypes of the time. And then there came a new show called Julia, starring Diane Carroll. There was a very interesting rumor in my industry about this television series that was being created to star a black actress. We had never seen anything quite this important having to do with the black modern woman working and explaining to her child what the world was, conversation. Julia goes on the air. It's very successful. The ratings were extraordinary. And then there were all sorts of complaints about this little show. We were very criticized by both communities, white and black. I imagine that the complaints about the premise of Julia, based upon the fact that there was so much unrest in the world and certainly in the black community, the fear was that we were neglecting to tell the story that needed to be told. We did not tell it like it is. That was the expression. Julia doesn't tell it like it is. And I really thought of Julia as a comedy that was supposed to have lightness about it and entertain. I thought we were showing the relationship between a mother and a son, and skin color really didn't have anything to do with it. But for the most part, I think having presented the first woman starring in her own series, written and created by Hal Cantor. I think we did very well. It was something that I was very proud of, that we had tried to knock down this door, and we really did. Miles Davis and I, we lived in the same building on 881 10th Avenue in New York City. That's where we lived, and that's where I met him, in the elevator. We got into the elevator, and I was very uptight, correct. And he said to me, Ain't you gonna say hello? <laughs> and naturally, I was in love with him from that moment. Miles was a very wise man. He had taken this whole culture of blacks and whites and jazz and opera and said, we're all here together to try to make sense of it, try to work with it. He would say things, just little things, and if you listened, you could get all of these little pearls that he would drop along the way. Claudine is a very special film because it was a film that was being done by my old school chum, Diana Sands. We were in elementary school together. Diana put this project together and gotten the starring role. 
And I think everyone was very happy about it because she's an extremely gifted woman. And then we all learned that she was ill. She was beginning to um, deteriorate. And she went to the director and asked if they would audition me. And they said, this is heavy drama and so on. And Diana, in her way, she too was, uh, I want her to come. I want her to have a chance. And I met with the director, John Barry. We talked about it. I loved the script. It was a woman really, really down on her luck. Everything in life had gone wrong for her. And then we lost Diana Sands while we were shooting. And I think that brought all of us to a place of this is for her memory. And it, it gave a certain depth and profound caring about everything we did so that we could uh, make Diana feel very proud. I was nominated for an Oscar for my work in Claudine. And I hope that my work honored our friendship. Dynasty came about because I had just completed a run in a play called Agnes of God on Broadway, which was quite demanding. And I was uh, at home resting under doctor's care. And I saw this nighttime soap opera. And I thought it was just a hoot. I loved it. It was so much about nothing. I just thought, wouldn't this be great? Because Agnes of God is so much about everything. So I asked my manager to contact Aaron Spelling to see how he felt about it. And he explained that one of his co-producers had just seen me in Agnes of God on Broadway and thought it would be a wonderful idea. At first, I wasn't consulted uh, about the character. But then as I learned everyone was trying to pull together what they thought would make an interesting character, I said plainly that I thought it would be a mistake if she was a sweet little person with very nice manners and that sort of thing. And I really thought she should be the first black bitch on television because I found that interesting. I found it a little more cutting edge if this woman could have the same power that the men on the show had. I asked the writers if they would please write this as though you're writing for white men, white business men. Don't, don't write for a woman. Whatever um, John is doing or whatever, I would like to do the same thing and dress well while I'm doing it. <laughs> so we all sat down and, and decided that it was a very good idea. And that's when they decided that I should walk up and insult Joan and tell her that her champagne was burned. Joan and I both recognized how important it was that we have venom in our eyes and in our manner. And I loved it because it was really just so over the top, saying, you know, your champagne is really just the worst champagne in the world. <laughs> Some of the dialogue, when it comes back to me today, I just can't believe we actually stood there and said that, and we got paid for it. <laughs> Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. 
Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Was I married four times? Yes, I was. I confess I was married four, which I confess I was married four times. And the reason I'm smiling is because I spent a lot of time giving the men involved in some of these relationships a very bad reputation. I'm not saying that I ever said anything that wasn't true. It was all true, except that the reason that this one human being kept choosing selection poor, not able to evaluate whether this should be a friendship or this should be a marriage, I wanted to be married. And so when the opportunity was there to do so, I did it. I had not lived alone. Quite frankly, I didn't know how to do that. I'm not sure that I know how to do it today. But I did think that it was time for me to stop and try to answer these questions for myself. I decided to come back to Los Angeles and learn to live alone. I said I will learn about me, not the role I play. And it's difficult to learn to live alone. It's difficult because I'm difficult. I'm not easy to live with. You know, you have three or four choices here that will give you a terrible day or a wonderful day. And there's no one else to blame except you because you're here alone. You can't say he did this or he did that. It's all you. And you don't seem to want to make yourself extremely happy the way you wanted other people to come along to make you extremely happy. Nobody can make you extremely happy but you. I was an old lady before I understood that. I was diagnosed in 1993, 92, and um, what happened? You don't believe it. First, it doesn't even phase you. You just thank you for the information, doctor, and we'll speak about this tomorrow, because that's the way I handle things. But later, deciding, trying to make a list, who, whom should I tell and not and whatever. Oh, the vanity was I don't want anyone to know when I really began to allow myself to think about it. I just, I can't say it. I don't want that to be the thought of anyone, the first thing they think when they hear my name. She has cancer, you know. I didn't want my mother to know. I didn't want my daughter to know. I just didn't know what to do with the feelings that were connected with uh, having cancer. And then I thought, uh, that's pretty arrogant. There are millions of women who have to deal with this every day. We have to work together here, and it's my responsibility to help them with that. One morning, three ladies came over to me and told me that they had heard the radio spots that I made. And they said, thank you, because we went immediately after hearing your radio spot. And two of us have cancer. And we thought, if you could do it, we could do it. I said, that is rich. If you can say that to me, you can't imagine what you've given to my life. Thank you. Diane Carroll helped pave the way for me and every other black woman who's had a career in front of the camera. She said what needed to be said 
and stood up for what mattered most and thankfully broke down doors for us all. Thank you, Miss Carol. Diane was the first to do so many things, and yet it wasn't until she was almost 50 that she learned one of the biggest and most important lessons of her life. When I was very young, my mom and dad were poor, and my mother took me to North Carolina. And when I awakened the following day, my mother had left me in North Carolina. She and my dad had decided that they needed a year without the responsibility of a having a, a small baby. I was about three, four, something like that. What happened is that we laughed and talked and had dinner and so on and so forth, and I went to bed. There were no words to say, Mommy is not going to be here when you wake up. I'm going to leave you with your aunt. Whatever the three-year-old, four-year-old could understand, but nothing was said. So I awakened, and I spent the next day looking for my mother. It's a good story, you have to admit. I mean, it's a broken-hearted little baby. How can it not be a good story? But it happened. It's over. It's done. A mature person finds a way to let go of that. An immature person, that's a wonderful excuse. I can live on that excuse forever. Look what my mom and dad, look what they did. Well, they did a lot of wonderful things. They lived, gave me everything they possibly could and they've passed on. And I'm a healthy, fairly intelligent human being who has had a very fabulous, incredible life. It's my fault that I'm still walking around with this story in my head. One of my dearest friends in the world said to me, when will you give up that story? It's been with me for a long time. It's hard to give it up. It has worked so well hard to give it up. And uh, I didn't learn to forgive my parents until I was in my 50s. I could see them beginning to age, and they needed me, and I was not about to deny that. I wanted to be there for them. I shared many things with my mother that, that I didn't think I would ever do. I enjoyed making her happy because she certainly did everything within her power to make me happy. It was the same with my dad. I saw that he was becoming frail, this big, strong man that I thought owned and conquered the world was getting old. My father remarried at one point, and by the time I recognized what he needed, uh, his wife had passed on. My mother, she wanted to see him. And I saw the two of them, my mother and father, together, and they had forgiven each other for everything. They laughed and enjoyed each other, and, and she would dress for dinner and talk about how wonderful he was and that how he had become more mature in the years that they were apart, and how she enjoyed his company and his conversation. Forgiveness is... Uh, it's an incredible thing. It gives freedom. Oh, I was with my granddaughter one day. We were in the park. I'm kind of fond of my grandchildren. For some reason, she decided that she couldn't come down the sliding board, I think they're called, and she wanted me to, to climb up. I said, I can't do that. Stop it, darling. I can't. Oh, yes, Nana, yes, you can. 
I said, I'm not dressed. I should have dressed to come to the park, and, and I'm afraid. I don't like the Nana, come. I'm not going to move. Nana, come. <sighs> Finally, I took off my coat, and we came down the sliding board together. Wee! <laughs> it was so silly. <laughs> Wonderful. And this lady walked by me, and she said, isn't it fantastic? Isn't it wonderful? She has no idea that you are Diane Carroll. That was my best review in my whole life. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas, Register today at thisisils.org. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.